Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Welcome to the crazy maelstrom of insanity of today. What, what happened? Did anything happen insane today? Yeah, we have the, somebody who has won a Pro Tour and made the finals of a Pro Tour on the show since. We talked to him last on the show again. That's what happened today. What's up, oh. Gary Thompson? Welcome to the show. Yo, what's going on? Also, I, I, think, I think me being on the show is like kind of tame compared to everything else that's going on, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, <laughs> may have, they may have. They, they may have. Uh, I think the best thing I've seen is Saffron Oliver shared on Facebook a picture of uh, uh, Rita Repulsa from, from Animorphs coming out of the space. Not Animorphs. Power, Rangers. Power Rangers coming out of the space dumpster. Yeah. And he was like, and Jace returns. And then someone was like, what about Bloodbraid Alpha? And he's like, and it came with Zordon. So we have a lot of <laughs> classic. You know, the original, they were the original kind of, not the original, but they, they brawled it out in standard. And one kept one in check, and now that they're both back together, we're going to see what happens. We are all dorks. So, uh, <laughs> welcome, welcome back to the show. We're really excited to have you. Uh, Jace, Bloodbraid, Unbanned, uh, you were in an insane finals of an awesome pro tour, and... Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's been awesome to uh, to watch your career since last year on the show. So let's uh, let's get through a couple shoutouts and then uh, talk to to Jerry T about all of the craziness that's going on in Magic yeah. right now. Well, let's start, Jerry T. Where can people find you? Uh, I am on Twitter a lot, and I basically try to reply to anyone who asks me a reasonable question, and that's at G three R R Y T. And I also have a podcast called the Game Podcast G A M. And yeah, that's about it. Super duper cool. Uh, all right. And you can find us on Twitter at the MMCast. I'm at Kess Wiley. You can find me at Ben Bateman Media. Uh, we also have a Facebook group. You should check that out. There's like almost 4,000 members now. It is extraordinarily active. We just uh, we're bringing on a few more moderators because we just are growing faster than we thought we would be growing. And it's great. It's probably the, one of the better places to discuss modern on the internet. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, uh, it's crazy. It's, it's so full of conversation and you know the sky is falling today as it often is <laughs> yeah it's, it's fun every time the sky is falling you can really have a good understanding of why because of that group <laughs> yes uh you also have uh our patreon it is how we fund the things that we do from the mics we're talking on to the memory cards we use to record to the wires that are allowing us to plug in our little new machine to my computer so jerry could talk to us and lastly, we have a station on Anchor called uh, 10 Minutes of Modern, Anchor.fm. It's like Twitter meets podcasting, short form audio. We talk every single day for about 10 minutes about all of the magic going on. I have not talked yet today about Jace because I wanted to save all my energy for, for this, this podcast. So without further ado, I say we get straight into things. Um, did you know anything like last night late? Did you have any inkling this was happening, Jerry? Or did you wake up, see it at 8 a.m. just like all the rest of us and we're blown away? I kind of just assumed that following the Pro Tour, nothing was going to happen. So uh, I, 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 like, woke up at 6 or something this morning, and then even by, like, 9.30, I hadn't really, like, checked the internet or anything. And I was staying at a friend's house, and he woke up and told me, and I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's totally – what a crazy, crazy day. I, I like, sort of – Alex posted something on our Twitter last night that was like likelihood that Jace the Mind Sculptor is unbanned because it, it, it's a lot, a little bit of me eating my hat. Though I did keep Jace did have a chance. I did not totally uh, give up on him. 
I think uh, I think you said forty percent likelihood that Blood Braid was unbanned. I think yeah, there, there's a forty percent chance nothing was nothing is unbanned because uh, as Jerry said, the chances of just it being a you know what the format is healthy right now. Let's not change anything. I do want to get in a little bit later on why I think that's a little bit of a misconception, but. Uh, there's a 40 chance nothing is unbanned. 40 chance that Bloodbraid Elf was unbanned. It's the one that every single person on the planet was like, just you can unban this card. It shouldn't have been banned in the first place. That was Deathrite Shaman's fault. Yep. Took a bullet for someone else. Uh, a 19.9998% chance that Stoneforge Mystic is unbanned. That's the card that a lot of people were talking about would have been fair to unban and was something that would maybe be exciting to see. And a 0.0002% chance that Jace the Mind Sculptor was unbanned. But there's a <laughs> chance and it happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I like, so um, we had Patrick Chapin on a couple times and I remember the first time he was ever on, we had a pretty lengthy discussion about Jace and uh, would it ever see an unbanning in modern? And I remember him just saying, like, this is very likely the most powerful card uh, that it would be available in modern, period. It's, it's like he was just sort of like people don't really remember or realize until they start playing with it quite how oppressive of a card it can be. And that's been my opinion the whole time because, you know, he's very smart. <laughs> well, yeah, Patrick and, and Corey, we, we've had conversations with both of them and, and both of them are relatively... Yes. Infamous for playing at least Grixis as a color combination. They love and blue. Uh, Jace, they were both like, Jace, if that card is unbanned, I'm going to show everyone why it should be banned. So, yeah, I mean, we believe those guys are obviously very good players. And the question we have is, is Jace sort of the pound for pound best card in modern? Like, do you think that's the case? Uh, I mean, if you're talking about modern right now, I think that's possible. But you also have to take into consideration, like, Jace in a vacuum is, like, not going to beat, like, you know, right of flame and hypergenesis and stuff like that, right? Like that's just crazy. And modern right now still has like a very high power level and the like what it takes for a four mana card to get into modern, it it has to be insane, right? And Jace is very, very good, but there are also just like a lot of incidental ways to beat it. So I don't think that that's necessarily true. Yeah, if you look at like the fourteen decks that did well at the Pro Tour and the GP different 14 different decks uh that top aided most of them are good against jace like there's a few that aren't but for the most part they all either are good against them or have answers to them or at least have parity against him so you have a format that is already relatively fine with jace existing and i obviously it's going to be warping the format it's going to give decks that were already good maybe some power boosts but i think in the long run you're going to see it kind of just be safe so okay, like let's so then let's talk a little bit about the blue decks, the ones that actually will probably play Jace. So you have you know blue eye control, you've got Jeskai Tempo and Jeskai Control, you've got Grixis Control, uh, and then maybe some other sort of fringe decks. Those those are like the really good blue based decks that we see a lot of. Maybe Blue Moon as well. Do we think that Jace slots in as like a minimum three of in all of those decks? Is he just an auto play? Uh, for the most part, yeah. I mean. One of the things that a lot of the blue decks you mentioned have been looking for is like this midway or mid-range card that kind of like either closes the game very quickly or at least like cements their position. And they don't have a really good way to actually take full control of a game. And I think Jace allows them to do that. And one of the things that I'm most concerned about with Jace is just like the prevalence of cheap spells alongside it. And Grixis Death Shadow does that really, really well. So... I don't think it's necessarily like a full control card. Like like you mentioned, you might see it in like the Blue Moon decks or like the, the Through the Breach Emrakul decks. Uh, but just having Jace as like the top end in your aggressive Death Shadow deck seems like the scariest thing. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I guess uh, when Jace was banned from Standard, it was in a time where, you know, Cobblade was the premier deck and that was a lot of 
two mana threats with lots and lots of one mana spells. So like Ponder, Preordain were both legal, Duress, Inquisition, I think Condemn maybe. Uh, so you're I, saying that Squadron Hawks is yeah. now uh, back to to being on the table? Don't you act like you're being coy? I saw you pull your stack of Squadron <laughs> Hawks this morning. Alex literally yeah, it's, pulled. It's not crazy. <laughs> well, because the, the the thing with Squadron Hawks is good with 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 Jace is you play Squadron Hawk, draw three random you know Squadron Hawk cards, which are mediocre, but then you play Jace and put those Squadron Hawks back in your deck, and then get three good cards off a of brainstorm, and then you play another Squadron Hawk, and then you draw those two cards and you do that again. So. They're really good with Jace. <laughs> I mean, people probably people are playing Squadron Hawk in that Monument deck. Uh, that deck was sweet. Um, Jace right. Monument. <laughs> so I think we can all agree Jace is going to make an impact. Um, last question, just briefly to touch on this idea that Miracles is going to be a deck. I know Riverwise Augur, I've seen that list pop up a little bit. Do we think there's a possibility that Entreat the Angels and Terminus and all these cards are going to really break through, that we're going to see this as a deck in modern or premier deck? What do you think, Jerry? You just have to jump through so many hoops to make Terminus. Like, yeah, you can chase back a Terminus, but for, you know, the five-man investment, you could also just play a Supreme Verdict, right? So right, right, right. I don't I don't know. Like, obviously, you get, like, the early turn, like, oh, maybe I can spike a Terminus, but I, I just don't think the enablers are there. Like, the Legacy version has things like Brainstorm and Ponder and previously Sensei's Dividing Top, and Modern basically just has none of that. Like, Riverwise Augur is not where you want to be. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you look at legacy i wouldn't play miracles now that top is gone and that and it still has brainstorm and and jace as four of each and, and modern doesn't even have brainstorm you have the worst of those three cards as a miracle setup plan available now which just makes it kind of not as exciting or i mean maybe terminus he's played just because in general terminus by itself is fine but i don't feel see like four terminus and treat the angels decks kind of like making a comeback in modern yeah i mean uh, we were talking offline a little bit jerry and you said that um you know porting decks over is not a smart decision usually that that's often something that doesn't work here's a question i have and this is just a a last thought on this before we move on but you know with with the more cards that get printed and the further kind of we get from the inception of modern the closer and closer legacy in modern get right and so there's only a small number of cards that truly separate the two formats i think most of us can agree that if you just say dual lands and force of will, those two cards probably stand at the top of the two cards. Brainstorm is above both of those. Okay, so brainstorm. So like, I I wonder what the top ten cards separating modern legacy really are. Like, I wonder what that list looks like. I mean, Deathrite Shaman is another big one. Huge yeah. one, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of different combo enablers for legacy. So like dark ritual lines, eye diamond stuff like that. Right. And LED I don't know, being I mean, gone is a big one. LEDs, yeah. Yeah, like. I, the the fact that you're missing force of will, I think, is just it, it's enough of a difference that you can't really compare the two. I Wait, mean, wasteland probably. Yeah, wasteland also. It's just like okay, so yeah, there are there are some mid range decks that have like cantrips and tarmogoyfs or cantrips and young pyromancer, but it's like that's kind of where the similarities end. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, the play style is very different. All right, so but, the, uh, back, back to Jace. Uh, uh, the one other thing I wanted to bring up before we get into Blood Raid Elf is and is going into you know, the, the the last big conversation we had on Jace coming on band was around the time Splinter Twin was still legal. And at that time, kind of the conversation was one of the biggest problems with Jace is it puts people down a distinct, uh, with one card, a distinct plan of either dealing with Jace and losing to whatever they're doing or dealing with what they're doing and losing to Jace and Jace stopping them from being able to prevent them doing what they're doing. And one of the reasons, you know, we at one point we were like, oh, it's maybe safe because there's nothing like Splinter Twin. But then, you know, Jerry mentioned it, the, the, the Through the Breach Emerald decks or the... 
the other one that does Platinum Imperium now, uh, either version of that, is something that now with Jace makes it much scarier to me for this card to be legal because now those Blue Moon decks can just play Jace. I have to deal with this Jace while they're doing all the good things that Blue Moon did before they had through the Breach Emerald, but then at any moment, instant speed Emerald at the end of my turn and I lose. It just does a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> I, I th- yes, I believe that you're, what you're saying is that Jace will add to good stuff decks and it will make it difficult to decide how to play against those good stuff decks, kind of. Well, I'm pointing out that like, there's a lot of dangerous things that this card can do, and the biggest thing it does is it forces people to have to deal with it, allowing people to do the thing they want to do too easily. I believe I agree with you that I think that on paper, this idea that because it's a four drop, it's not going to have as big of an impact as it could. I think it's a little bit naive because I think the best players have shown us this card is much, much, much better than just a four mana planeswalker that's better than all the other four mana planeswalkers. It's a game defining card, not even format. It's one of the defining cards ever printed in this game. So the possibilities are endless. I'm excited to see what happens, but cautiously optimistic, let's say. So let's, and then, yeah. Any, any last things on Jace before we get on the BBE? Jerry? Uh, Jace is definitely going to make an impact. It is definitely going to be very good, possibly frustrating to play against. Um, but I, I think it is just going to be another card in a sea of good cards. Yeah, All right. I can agree with that. Uh, because we don't have that much time, and I really want to talk to you about the Pro Tour, uh, and Bloodbraid Elf's been legal before, give us your, your one-minute uh, reaction to Bloodbraid. I mean, it's a, you, you told us it's a card you've played before, so it's obviously not as exciting. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm way more excited to play with Jace in this format, but Bloodbraid has a lot of things going on for it, too. It, it's awesome with uh, Kolagon's Command, which we haven't seen before. Yeah. It's very good with Ancestral Vision, which uh, people had tried for a little bit in Legacy, but we hadn't ever had a chance to do that in Modern, so that's another potential build around. And I think Bloodbraid... I don't know, it's like... it. it creates extra deck building tension for any sort of creature deck where like, you know, do you actually want collected company or blood burrito? Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. I mean, the four drop slot is crowded modern. You can't play that many of them. Um, it's not that crowded. Like the, if you look at modern four drops that don't just outright win you the game or aren't at instant speed were not played at the pro tour, like kind of across the board. That's what one of wizards big qualifications, why they could unban both of these cards was just like, you know, Bloodbraid Elf isn't stealing the thunder of any of Jun's top-end decks because Jun's not seeing play, and none of those top-end four-drops are seeing play alongside of it. And you could say that about every card in the format. What were the four-drops in Reed Duke's Abzan list at the Predator? There wasn't. Were there? Did he not play no, any he, four? He had, he had Tyler's Tracker, I think. Yeah, Tyler's Tracker and, and Lingering Souls. kind of a four-drop, yeah. It's a three-drop. Yeah, <laughs> that, that yeah. Shit you need interesting. To with. Yeah, uh, I mean, welcome to Magic. It just gets more and more efficient every year. Yep. Um, all right, so let's let's. Well, the move. one thing I, I, oh, I yeah, did want to ask is... Because the format has been very much defined by Fatal Push over the last yeah. year and a half. Uh, or exactly a year? Exactly like about a year, year yeah. yeah. Spoiled um, but Bloodbraid Elf specifically's relationship to Fatal Push is odd. Because it's semi not the best card to cascade into because you're not always going to have a target. And B, killing Bloodbraid Elf is ba- it's harder with a Fatal Push than other removal spells. Do we start seeing another push towards more lightning bolt heavy removal bases out of Jund now that Bloodbraid Elf is back? And Jace. And Jace. Yeah. yeah. And Fatal Push is bad against Jace. Well, Lightning Bolt is serviceable. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely going to happen. And then, you know, maybe that brings like a shift towards like more Death Shadows, more Tarmogoyfs and things of that nature. But yeah, Lightning Bolt, I mean, not only is it good against uh, Jace, 
most of the time. Uh, but if you are playing Bloodbraid Elf, you're almost certainly playing Lightning Bolt. And if you're playing Jace, you're probably playing Snapcaster Mage, which also means you're probably playing Lightning Bolt. Yeah, it's really interesting because like the last year we've kind of had to move forward. Your creature should be good against Death sh or uh, uh, Fatal Push, and instead of the tw whatever eight years of Modern that was before that, that's way longer than Modern's existed. But whatever, <laughs> uh, where Lightning Bolt was the defining removal spell, and everything had to be a X four. And I think we're going to be moving back into a land where X fours are important. Cool, I I agree. <laughs> I think I think uh, Wall of Omens is uh, is is a sweet one. I actually think I've just been saying this forever, but I now think that. With uh, with Jace being back in the format and everything, and and you know Bloodbraid Elf and and Wall of Omens is but a card that's been underplayed. I think the the, the Jeskai Sahili Ray Felidar uh, Guardian <laughs> deck is going to be a thing. I just want that to be a thing. I don't know how it's not a thing yet. Just, it seems like so obvious to me that should be a thing, but it's not. Uh, all right. Anyway, let's move on to the next part of the show. Well, so yeah, we're going to get into the Pro Tour that yep. that you did very well on. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Uh, Since we last talked to you, which I think you were on uh, a little over a year ago. After Detroit, I think you top eighted with Eldrazi. You have now won a Pro Tour and also made the finals of another Pro Tour. So congratulations to you, sir. It's it's been a good year, guys. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, so before we get into like kind of specific matches from the top eight, uh, can you walk us through a little bit of uh, why you chose Mardu, how you chose it, and and kind of the process of why that deck is great? So I have been very familiar with like these velocity based like mid-range decks that just have a ton of interaction i really enjoy playing them and my preparation for the pro tour was sort of light i just made a list of decks that i thought would be considerations and i just like slowly cross things off the list and the only things that were really remaining were mardu and grix's death shadow and grix's looked pretty bad against humans and Mattia rizzi gave me a list so you know it, it just kind of all came together so you really considered playing grix's honestly you I thought, did, yeah. Have, so have you talked to Corey Burkhart at any length about his decision to uh, consistently do it? Grix's Death Shadow. Oh, not, Grix's not, Shadow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, not Control, not Control. Yes, he's the only he's the only madman that does that. <laughs> yeah, it would take a lot for me to sleep up Cryptic Command, honestly. Yeah, interesting. What about Bloodberry Elf? <laughs> would that get you to do it? Uh, if my options are Bedlam Reveler, Death Shadow, Jace, or Bloodbraid Elf, I think Bloodbraid Elf is in fourth. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Bedlam Reveler, sweet. Um, so, yeah, so so why don't you walk us through some of the, like, why? where did Bedlam Reveler come from? You know, Young Pyromancer has classically been considered the fifth two-drop all-star card of Magic, but has kind of not been a big deal in Modern since the Treasure Cruise days. So what, you know, and then this top eight had two different Pyromancer decks. So what kind of brought that back to the forefront and kind of explain the engine of your deck and why it works the way it does? So Young Pyromancer is very, very strong in Legacy because of things like Ataxian Probe and Cabal Therapy and to a lesser extent Force of Will. And for Modern, it's it's like always been there. Like it's people have played it in and out of some decks, but like I said before, like they're generally blue decks and then they need some like mid game, big card drawer or, you know, like a thing like Jace to just either keep the engine going or lock up the game. And they just hadn't had that. It was like, you play young pyromancer, kill a few things, get a few tokens. And then you just kind of like run out of gas. And, uh, Pascal Viren's deck has Thing in the Ice to go alongside Young Pyromancer, so now you have like up to eight of these two-mana threats that you can play, and his deck also had Ancestral Vision, which uh, these blue decks haven't had for a very long time. 
And as far as Mardu, uh, Bedlam Reveler got printed. People figured out that Faithless Looting was really good alongside Bedlam Reveler. And now these uh, black-red base decks, like, get to play a low land count, some cantrips, and they have multiple things that are telling them to just cast instants and sorceries. So it just kind of all came together. Do you think that the sort of improvement in quality of the card has anything to do with the printing of, like, Fatal Push and Opt over the course of the last year? Or do you think it's more, more definitely of a meta thing? Uh, certainly the more one mana cards that pair with it, like the, the slightly better it gets and fatal push complements lightning bolt really well. Like if, if you only had lightning bolt and say like you only had inquisition or only had Thoughtseize, and then like the rest of your stuff was two mana, like young pyromancer would probably not be very good. It is because you have a very, very high density of one mana cards for sure. Does it surprise you to know the most top or the most played removal spell in the top eight was collective brutality? Uh, kind of, I guess, but it sort of makes sense. I mean, the decks that play Push Bolt or Lightning Bolt or Push Lightning Bolt or Path to Exile uh, generally are two of those colors, so they have to pick between one or the other, and Black was just very popular, and Brutality is not only just, like, a very good removal spell, but it's, like, very potent against Burn, so it often ends up in the sideboard a lot. It's one of those, like bridge cards that you can use to bring in a lot of different matchups and it's also just an enabler for stupid graveyard stuff which modern has, happens to have a lot of yes so, it does. so yeah so when, when we went over each of the decks from the top eight during the pro tour when we did our episode last week we went over your list and we were talking about collective brutality and you know we were wondering collective brutality feels like it works so well with all of the other things you're doing in your deck why did you choose not to go as just a straight four of and and lower the amount of copies in the deck uh, part of the problem is that you need your removal spells to be able to go above minus two, minus two. Like, you need some amount of terminates for big Eldrazi and Tarmogoyfs and stuff. You want some amount of one-mana interaction for, like, the champion of the parishes of the world. So, I don't know. Like, br Brutality, if it were better against more of the creatures in the format that you want to kill, I think you would see more copies. And, like, even some of the lists are going up to three, you know? Costing and two is probably a problem, yeah. Yeah, it, it kind of is. I mean, there's, like, one-mana cards are great. You kind of just play all the ones that you can. And then the two-mana cards, like, you have to actually make decisions as far as, like, which ones you want to play and how many. Interesting. Um, all right, so let's talk then a little bit about the actual matchups that you found yourself in. So you had... Uh... You had two incredible, incredible, very, very interactive matches. And then, unfortunately, a finals against what you said in your article was your worst matchup uh, against Lantern. You start out against Five Color Humans, which you correctly predicted is one of the top decks. Is that That's favored for you, right? Because you have so much removal? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the games can get kind of close because they have a lot of threats in their deck. And they certainly have more threats than you have removal. But... As long as you're able to get your engine going, like Faithless Looting, Bedlam Reveler, you should be able to stay on top of things. And uh, barring that, you can also just find yourself in a racing situation where you have Young Pyromancer and some tokens, uh, either Elementals or Spirits from Lingering Souls, and maybe you just kill them that way. Did you ever consider playing Smuggler's Copter? It, I always feel like that card plays so well with Lingering Souls and like Pyromancer tokens. I'm such a fan of it. Yeah, I, I could probably see that. I was playing with Copter in a few different decks, like Eldrazi and Taxes. Yep. Um, so, in that matchup, am I correct in thinking then that there is some potency to your flyers because of Mantis Rider and you kind of get into that racing situation sometimes, or you just hope to kill it? <laughs> you don't really care so much about your souls. Uh, yeah, 
yeah, I mean, Lingering Souls, it, it depends on the game state, whether or not you're using them to trade or race or just jump block and buy you time. And a lot of the games against humans came down to me having a Lingering Souls to flashback to insulate myself against them top decking a Manus Rider to kill me. So having the blockers definitely matters. And it's it's more of just like a, a card that's a part of your engine with like Faithless Thing. What card in that matchup do you fear the most? Uh, I mean, like, Meddling Mage has so many cards that it wants to name, but there were games where it's like they would name Lightning Bolt and I'd have two, or they'd name something like Thoughtseize or Collective Brutality uh, to p protect their collected company from the, the company versions and stuff. But uh, Phantasmal Image is probably the one that is the scariest because you basically need a Bedlam Reveler to stabilize against them, and then it gives them a shot to just, like, come right back over the top of you. Yeah, copying Reveler with Image is insane. It's like one of, it was one of the most fun things to watch at the Pro Tour, actually. Um, all right, so that's your first matchup. So you get through that, and at this point, you go up against the other Pyromancer deck. Um, now, this is pretty fascinating, and, and this had to have been the big... The reverse sweep, obviously, because, because you end up playing against Lantern in the finals is the most triumphant moment of your weekend, I'm assuming. Um, talk us through a little bit what it's like being down two games like when you're when you're sitting there and you're thinking about your you have to win three in a row in an incredibly interactive matchup especially with the emotional weekend you had had what's going on in your head i just try not to think about it i'm like they're doing my thing taking it one game at a time and whatever happens happens like pro tour success is still kind of like eluded me to some degree you know to the point where like i'm not going to take anything for granted so like if I'm sitting down to play my top four match in a pro tour, like I'm, I'm just thankful that I'm there already. Right, right. Now you, you named your article uh, that you wrote winning for Corey, and I, I, you've talked about it a little bit already. Was that did that enter your mind? Were you thinking about him during those matches at all, or was it you were totally, totally zeroed in on the game and it just everything else kind of faded out? Yeah, I think I'm generally pretty good at just like focusing at the task at hand, but like certainly in between rounds, like. You know, I'm, I'm going outside, kind of like collecting myself and I'm scrolling through like Facebook and Twitter and stuff. And I mean, uh, Corey had touched like a lot of people's lives and everything and people just had like nothing but nice things to say about him. So it was just like I would I would read those things, think about him, kind of get fired up just like accidentally and then just like go back in and, and beat up on some people. Yeah, I get that. I get that. So um, now in that uh, in that fifth match. Uh, against blue red he resolves a or he suspends ancestral vision um that's got to be the, the the most frightening thing that deck can get, do against you right is the turn one ancestral yeah absolutely especially since he was on the play but i don't know like he he cracked a fetch and said i have the good one which meant ancestral instead of like serum visions or whatever and i just looked at my hand and my hand was very good and i was like oh this is going to be a fun game and that that was basically like all i was concerned about you know like the the whole like being in top four of a pro tour thing, like it, it just becomes a free roll for me. Like I, uh, I, I don't like need to necessarily win the tournament or whatever. I just want to do my best and occasionally put on a show and make it entertaining for everyone else. And I think I did a pretty good job of doing that and just also happened to win. But yeah, like his ancestral against like my looting into lingering souls, like that's actually a fair fight. Right, right, right. Um, so talk to me just for a second about, I, I mean, you historically, you're a, you're a brewer. You're somebody who's talked a lot about brewing with wacky cards. And I've read a lot of your articles because I feel I'm the same way. You just, you know, win pro tours and I don't. So, um, <laughs> if there was a pro tour 
card, if there was a Pro Tour you could win with any card of your choice in Magic's history, any card at all, what would that card be? Mm, I don't know. Like this, this seems like a different question than like, what are your favorite cards? Because I certainly have a list of favorite cards. Yeah, like I don't know, like for me, like Joyra of the Gitu or something, or like Grand Architect would be like probably be like high on my list of cards. I love those cards, and the idea of winning with them seems outrageous. You don't have one like that? Uh, probably Exile into Darkness. Exile into Darkness. Deep cut. Is that the? Uh, it's got that weird face on it, right? Am I making that up? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like trying to think what that card actually does. It Just... is four uh, B sorcery. Target player sacrifices a creature with converted mana cost three or less at the beginning of your upkeep. If you have more cards in hand than each opponent, you may return exile into darkness from your graveyard to your hand. Oh wow, yeah, not the card I was thinking of. Oh, this card's sweet. <laughs> good, good answer. Good answer. Yeah, uh, this is this is like a, I don't know, like zombies hands coming up from a pit or something yeah, yeah yeah for sure i was i was way off so um all right so so back to the task at hand talking about the pro tour so you make it to the you make it through you get the reverse sweep you get into the finals and you know at that point you're playing against lantern going into that matchup is there a party that's like i can win this or are you pretty much like it was it is almost impossible for me to win this because 20 of my removal spells are dead cards no i thought i could win actually and it just my my opening hands were not very good, and it's possibly that I should have mulliganed even lower than I did. I think I went down to like six and five in the first two games, and maybe I should have kept going. I don't know. But uh, certainly the post-board games are winnable, and if I had like a little bit extra help, like maybe some engineered explosives or something, I think I would have had more of a fighting chance. But uh, it, like game three was close-ish. It was just like I need to keep him off blue mana uh because he had a word stuck in his hand and then i just need to find like another discard spell or something and i just like couldn't keep the disruption going and eventually he you know found a land and got to cast were and just started putting me away from there so i think game three was pretty close but yeah the first two games were just kind of a bloodbath because you you pretty much need to have disruption to get ensnaring bridge or were out of his opener right that's like the trick yeah i mean if if i had like a colagon's command in my opening hand then cool um, I, I think I also could have maybe played maybe not the entire match, but like certain spots differently where it's just like, maybe I'm supposed to like sandbag all of my fetches and all of my faithless lootings and just like save it up for a big turn to try and like break through his lock. But I don't know. It's tough. Do you think that deck's a problem in modern or do you think it's totally fine? I think it's very unfun. I mean, there are people like canister BBD, Sam black, uh, certainly Luis Salvato too, who, play the deck at a reasonable enough pace that it's not super offensive, you know? And then if, if people are in my spot and they know that there's 0% to win and they can just concede, then cool. But it's, it's kind of a big ask for people to, to know that stuff, like both like how to play their deck quickly and efficiently and how to know, like when you're just like completely locked out by this prison deck. So will Jace fit into that deck? Uh, you could play Jace, but Zach I think, I think for the most part, things like Tezzeret are just doing what you want to do, but better. Yes, right. Zach, Zach Elsick uh, posted today being like, and I think it was a tweet from a while ago, but he like found it and retweeted it. Basically, this is my thoughts on if Jace is playable in Lantern. It, the answer is basically just like Tezzeret is better in every way. Right. Like, yeah, makes sense. It's just like at best you draw two cards and maybe you're fatesling your opponent, but you're already doing that in the deck in a deck that's trying to do that. So then it's just why not play a thing that just pound for pound does a lot more damage with Tezzeret who does, you know, when he ultimates you go, you win. 
Yeah, yeah. totally fair. Um, so, all right, so that, so that matchup ends. Now Now you look back and you look at Modern, and before, obviously, Jace and, and Bloodbraid get into the format, did you think it was truly the healthiest format? Like, did people, a lot of people have said it's the best that it's ever been. It's the greatest format of all time. Would you have shared that sentiment? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I thought Modern was really good, like, five or six months ago, like, when Death Shadow started tapering off a little bit and people started figuring out ways to beat it. And this this Pro Tour was even better than that. I mean, like, the top eight had, what, seven different decks, just, like, right. two copies of humans. Yep. And a bunch of weird stuff, too. Like, blue-red Pyromancer, the Mardu deck is kind of off the beaten path, Lantern wins. Hollow One. Reed's playing... Hollow yeah, Hollow One. Reed's, Reed's playing unplayable Abzan. Like, this format's awesome. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's so super great. I, I don't know if these four drops are going to ruin Modern. I think it's going to, like, kind of be bad in the short term when everyone's, like, maybe playing Jace and trying to figure out exactly what they can do with it. But once it settled out, settles down again, I think it's just going to go right back to it being awesome again. You're going to have the thing that like happens when a new card like Jace gets printed. It's like, Oh, every player is playing him that had copies. And I would say much more than half doesn't know how to. And Jace is a card that makes turns last longer. So grind. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to be super grindy. uh, So uh, a question that I do have is, is now that Jason Bloodbraid Belf are unbanned, uh, how does your deck choice change? Well, what, what cards would you play differently? Are there cards that you would play that you wouldn't have previously now that it's in the format and, or do you keep with Mardu or do you move towards a different color combo? Uh, I certainly want to keep trying this deck because I liked it a lot. And that not all of that was necessarily related to me doing well, but uh, I would likely look at playing a second copy of Dreadbore because I would assume that there are going to be a lot of Jaces. You already have some Lightning Bolts to deal with it in game one, but like post-board, you're probably going to want to take out some of those and just have things like Dreadbore to clean it up. And if people are playing Jun with like K-Command and Bloodbraid Elf, I think those games would be really fun. Like They're going to be really grindy, but uh, I do think that Bedlam Reveler can hang. So yeah. I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't think too much really changes quite yet. Maybe if, if Jace is actually good, then the metagame shifts. People play more aggro, more combo, and then, you know, you can tune your Mardu or Jun deck appropriately. Yeah, I mean, it, the deck obviously has legs. I mean, uh, you know, it didn't top eight the the Grand Prix this weekend, but it did get ninth and tenth place. Uh, we're both Mardu Pyromancer. Um, so, like, obviously the deck is super powerful, and, like, a lot of what this deck is doing classically is powerful against Jace or other Planeswalkers or even Bloodbraid Elf, which is just like tokens, a lot of value, plays out of your graveyard, um, and anything with three power or more. (laughs) So yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Um, We are going to bid you adieu and thank you. uh, And then we'll, you know, finish up here and cover the, the, uh, the Toronto results. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Uh, It's been, it's been awesome to talk to you. Congratulations. Um, on another incredible showing and uh and yeah man like just just keep it up keep keep living the dream keep brewing incredible stuff and and putting up results with it and you know i really hope you do in fact get to win with the card you mentioned and then and, and once <laughs> and, and once again uh, where uh where is the best place for people to find you on the internet and and such uh i'm on twitter all the time basically uh at g3 rryt Perfect. And you can find the link to that in our episode description. Uh, you also are on the GAM podcast, correct? Yep. Uh, at the GAM podcast on Twitter also. Uh, we basically do an episode, sometimes standard, sometimes modern, just depending on what tournaments are coming up, like almost every week, unless one of us is traveling. Perfect. 
Very cool, man. And uh, your list is online. We'll also have that on the the dropdown at collected.company. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. We'll, we'll talk to you uh, next time we have you on the podcast, which hopefully is soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Jerry. All right. Once again, thank you, Jerry, for coming on. It was awesome having you. Uh, you ran out of time, but we didn't. So we're going to talk about the Grand Prix Toronto from this point on in the episode. So Grand Prix Toronto was the second modern tournament in a week. Yeah, uh, a lot of modern for us. Uh, plus, some bannings was crazy. Now, what's really interesting about this is looking at this, and the the conversation I want to have is not only how exciting this is, and the fact that Boggles won with multiple ley lines in the main deck, which I think is super sick. And finally, Noggles are on top again. Blue red horse Noggles. for the win. Uh, oh, this is oh, this is Boggles. You know, we did a the, still the number one blue green card is still. A boggle. <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a great card. Yeah. It's very, it's very <laughs> so powerful. we'll go through the top eight of this, but I, I also really want to talk about uh, how does this top eight match against, and we can even go a little deeper, but how do these decks match up against the unbanned cards, and what does Bloodbraid Elf or Jace really do to this format, and would it have made a difference for either of those cards to be legal in this top eight? Um, the top eight, so for those who don't know, is Boggles. Uh, by Dan Ward, won the whole thing. He, uh, second place was Burn, uh, piloted by John Stern. Just Guy Control by Luke Purcell, got third place. Grishel Brandt, one of my faves, Jonathan Zhang. Uh, Elves, uh, Bertrand Joseph Pear. I'm going to say some of these names wrong eventually. It's just a eventual disaster. Traverse Shadow by Alessandro Pogorzelski. Hopefully got that one right. Affinity in seventh by Benjamin Reagan. And Burn, Chris Dockrell. I may have beaten. Uh, I know for a fact that I beat Dan Ward at a P- at a PTQ a few years ago. I recognize this picture. He was playing goblins uh, in modern. Okay. I don't remember what deck I was playing. It feels like it was probably like my mill deck <laughs> <laughs> or something. I don't quite remember, but uh, it was it was sick. Uh, congratulations, Dan Ward. <laughs> Subtle brags. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, the number one played card in the uh, tournament uh, was Lightning Bolt. Yeah. Number back, two was Collective Brutality. Number three was Path to Exile. Number four was Faithless Looting. First time in this top five. Number five was Thought Seize. Six, Ancient Stirring. Seven, Relic of Progenitus. Eight, Inquisition of Kozilek. Nine was Lightning Helix. And ten was Blood Moon. Lots and lots and lots of interaction. Lots and lots of one drops. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Surprising no one. Um, just, it's like I said, when you're talking to Jerry, it's like one drops. Big surprise. They just keep getting better. Yeah. So, so the one thing I will say about this tournament is... I don't think any of these decks are bad against Jace or Bloodbraid Elf. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I mean, Jess Guy Control would probably be playing it, but Burn is good against both of those cards. Boggles is good against both of those cards. Boggles playing Leyline in the main. How does Liliana... You can't... You can't I know. That was the sickest That's thing sick. I noticed about Dan's list. I, I loved I loved to see that. The three um, copies of Leyline of Sanctity in the main deck. That's like a pretty... That's a pretty that's really savage medical. Yeah. You like thinking about it. It's probably just the correct call forever. Like the cards that Boggles has a problem with are... Getting your only creature, thought or, sees on turn one. Or edicts, and both of those target a player. So if they can't do either of those things, you just outright win. And then against burn and other things, it's just sweet to have yeah. that out. Like Right, scape shift you don't lose to. Right, there's just like weird decks that it just wins, and then there's against Jund and other decks it's just good. Now, I think this is worse than it would have been moving forward because stuff like Maelstrom Pulse has gotten a lot better with Jace being printed. Because because Jund is going to see more play and because Jund is going to opt into Maelstrom Pulses over something like necessarily a Terminate or a Fatal Push or a Breath Decay to deal with Jace, the Leyline plan becomes worse. Do you know what is good against the Noggles deck uh, that Jace makes good? Uh, Noggles? Uh, I do know what's good against the Noggles deck. It's anything that kills a 2-2 horse person. 
Terminus. <laughs> Terminus is very good against them. And that, that's true. And that is good with Chase. That, that, that was the, the one conversation when we were talking with, with Jerry on, on Miracles and Terminus specifically is that I do think Terminus has a chance to see more play than it currently does, which is zero. Yep. So I think it has it will definitely go up in play. I don't think I do agree that Supreme Verdict is better most of the time, but Terminus does have value and stuff, especially against like weird second tier stuff like like Boggles. Yeah. Yep. So let's talk about some of the other decks in the top eight. Um, you have Jonathan Zhang playing Grishelbrand. Uh, yep. Look at that. Grand Prix top eight with Grishelbrand. This is a deck that's been on the radar for such a long time. Everybody kind of knew this was a deck. Um, it, yeah, it's a good deck. I mean, it, he's playing Knight's Whisper in the main. I think that's pretty sweet. Um, and for those that don't remember how this deck works, you basically you basically use um, Goria's Vengeance to get, what's his name, Grisselbrand into play. You draw a bunch of cards. You then exile a 15-drop to World Spine Worm to gain a bunch of life to draw a bunch more cards. And then you use your um, Simeon Spirit Guides to whatever, like looting and well, so, yeah, so, yeah, you use Simeon Spirit Guides to be able to possibly get Grisselbrand into play on turn one. And then with that, you're able to draw 14 cards. <laughs> and then hopefully out of those 14 cards is a Nourishing Shoal and a World Spine Worm or a Bergamos, which lets you exile that drawing an additional 14 cards off of that. By that point, you should be able to get enough additional Simeon Spirit Guides and a Faithless Looting to be able to discard a Bergamos and cast a um, Goro's Vengeance. And using that, you can now discard all the cards in your deck. Uh, all the lands you drew off of the uh, Grizzle Brand triggers to just do a bunch of damage and kill your opponent. And look at that. Just another deck playing Black Leaf Cliffs in the main. This card is now $40. That doesn't surprise me. You know what's crazy? What? Yeah, that, that is true. You're right. Black Leaf Cliffs is $40. Yep. Fast lands need reprinting. Uh, here's the thing that is more interesting to me. Faithless Looting is quickly becoming the one of the most defining cards of modern. Faithless Looting? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great card. Uh, I mean, but it wasn't six, two mo- a month ago. Like a month ago, if I was to tell you what card was going to be so defining, Faith Looting would not be on anyone's list. But now, Grishelbrand, uh, the two Mardu Pyromancer decks, obviously Hollow Vine decks. Like all of these decks are very much leaning on this card. I'm surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if this card sees more and more play as time goes forward. Do you think it gets expensive? No, it's been reprinted into the ground. Yeah, I think it's, it's like in like a dual deck. It's like been in a comic book promo. It's like everywhere. It's worth sixty cents. Yeah, but um, I do think I do think decks like Jund might start looking at this card to play or ju- you know to, just to actually to play just play it. it. Just yeah, play yeah. a card that's decent. Makes sense. Um, you had two copies of Burn in the top eight. Uh, both of them are pretty standard. The one difference between the two is that uh, the list played by John Stern is playing a single copy of Vexing Devil in the main. Um, one of the things with the Burn deck that we've seen a lot of recently is that they all play four Inspiring Vantage now, so they're all. Their mana bases are a little less painful than they used to be. Um, they're still splashing for revelry in the sideboard usually, so there's usually still a stomping ground. But the the four vantage in the main is uh, very consistent now, and a lot of them have just they just don't want to take as much damage. Yep. Um, um, beyond that, we have Traverse Shadow, piloted by Alessandro Por <laughs> Pogorzelski. Uh, Traverse oh, Shadow. I did a better job saying his name than you did. So this is <laughs> another. Uh, this is just like another one of your your four color shadow decks um, that's playing that's probably better than it was. Yeah, I mean it's like what we, I think we talked about this on the show, but like it's doing what the other one was. It's doing what the old shadow deck did, the old Jund one, sure. with Traverse and the uh, the what's it called, the artifact mistress bobble. But it's also playing the blue stuff that makes the other deck better. So you have like multiple copies of stubborn denial. You know you have three denial, two teamer battle rage. It just trims a little bit on your copies of what you're playing. 
Um, well, it, the thing with Death Shadow is that you want your health total to be low. So splashing colors, the main cost of being greedy with your mana base. Yeah. Uh, news to everyone, it's not Blood it's not blood Moon, it's your life total. And Death Rage Shaman decks take advantage of that. They, they want their life total to be low. It's also interesting that this deck is playing... Um, it's not playing any copies of Thought Scour, and it's playing four Tarmogoyf. So it doesn't play the Delve package. It's not playing like anywhere near sure. as much of the Gurmag Angler, Tassiger, Thought Scour stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably the biggest difference about the way this deck's built. Sure, it's, it's going for more just having a static graveyard and having your opponent have a graveyard than just having a graveyard yourself. Benjamin Reagan played a classic version of Affinity. Nothing in here really jumps out. It's, you suppose, see, uh, the one thing I do want to say about Affinity is moving forward, people should really be playing Edge Champions more. Like because of Jace and because yeah. of just how good Jund decks are going to be, and that's the deck that Affinity can have a problem with, Edge Champion becomes your new best friend. Yeah, it's very good. Um, um, Bertrand Joseph pair is playing elves. Um, but interestingly enough about this elves deck, there is not a copy of what's his name? Creator of Behemoth. It's playing a much straighter. Well, this is, it, they, they haven't been playing Greater of Behemoth since the Zero of Remedies came out. So they've been moving much closer to a go infinite with Azuri Renegade leader. Just attack with everything. Just because you can cord for everything. It's another cord deck. Your deck is just better off going off of the infinite plan that all your kinds of cards kind of work together than trying to get this one card that if you get into your hand early, is just not going to do anything. Interesting. Okay. So I haven't paid as close of attention to the Elves deck. So, yeah. I mean, it's all four ofs in the main other than three Nettle Sentinel, a one Rex Age, a Selfless Spirit, and a Vizier. And then it's got four of each of your your engine cards, yep. so cord and yeah, card yeah. company, and otherwise just a bunch of cord targets and your cards that you want. Or Horizon Canopy. You know what's funny? They, they reprinted Horizon Canopy, and I had bought my couple over the summer, uh, and I paid like 60 for each, the old printing. Um, what? What are you laughing about? It's the sad song from, oh, from Charlie Brown. I don't feel that That's sad nuts. about it anymore because, first of all, this is one of the craziest examples of this I've seen. Um, I have not seen this before, but if you go look at the price of Horizon Canopy from Future Sight, it's dropped a little, but it's still $53, whereas the other one is 33 The old printing is worth uh, $20 well, more. That happens a lot. Like If you look at the difference between Shocklands from Ravnica versus Return to Ravnica, the yeah. price is... A- pretty significant like uh, that's also i think a little bit of dealers doing that on purpose right like star city games can keep those old ones higher because it makes them collectible and collectible like for people that collect things they maybe will buy them at a premium but everyone who needs it will just we'll buy, buy the cheaper, the cheaper one. ones well what's interesting about it is that so you keep it from losing value on your list price vintage masters or iconic masters is very recent and this is the price we're at after the reprinting in iconic masters but currently you have four copies of horizon Canopy being played in humans you have it in the GP winning deck boggles, and now you're seeing four of copies in elves. I think Horizon Companion is going to go back up. I think that card's going to continue to be a heavily sought after land. Yeah, I agree. I was I was surprised to see how. Well, I mean, uh, it, it was in two of the top eight as a four of. Yeah, it's in boggles too. Yeah, and it was in both copies. If you know, no one, no one, no one ever got the prize for the Noggles contest. Nobody could make it. No one could. No one was able to win at F and M. Or five zero a modern a modern daily with an, a deck with at least two noggles in it. <laughs> Luke Purcell is playing uh, Jaceless Just Guy Control um, <laughs> soon to add Jace. It's just... I don't know if that's true. So like the the thing you have to look at here is these are the Lightning Helix Lightning Bolt decks, and yeah, I could see them playing one or two Jaces, like maybe over a Cryptic Command. This is a deck that's playing Sphinx's Revelation. If you're playing Sphinx, you can play Jace, but like the tempo style Jace decks 
aren't going to want at least four of them. I don't right. I don't see them playing four Jace. I see Sphinx's Revelation getting cut for Jace and maybe one other card in here. So you get two of them. Maybe a search for Z- Azkanta, so you go down to one search. But like four of in this deck seems not what it's trying to do, especially because like this is much more of an aggressive deck and Jace isn't aggressive. It's kind of going on the opposite plan. Interesting. So this, uh, yeah, but this deck is pretty much what we've seen. It's got the one Gideon Allies and a car, two, two search for Azkantos, two Verdict, and then the rest of the spell count is all like what we've seen: three Logic Knot, uh, Sphinx Rev, and a Secure the Wastes. So. I love just posting. Everyone's there's like regularly in the Facebook group. There's a thread be like, which counter spell is going to be the what's the what's like the best one in modern or when, yeah, yeah, yeah. when are they going to reprint counter spell or if you could print a card, what text would it be that would be fair for modern? But right. is a counter spell like counter spell? And I just always post a picture of logic nut <laughs> it's a sick card it's, it's really good it does everything what people want i posted that question the other day and people and people like it got like a lot of interaction yeah. like hundreds of comments memory people, lapse is memory the only is fair the, card on those four lists people like the card memory lapse it was a big conversation but uh brandon s russell who if you're hearing this big shout out longtime listener of the anchor show uh he called in and i shared his call on anchor um he was saying that it's like the re- memory lapse is very very similar to delay in a lot of ways it's just that one creates the immediate tempo of putting it on the top of their library and kind of time walking their next draw step, whereas the other is an actual hard counter if you can close the game out in the next three turns. Sure. And it's interesting, Delay sees almost no play, which means if Memory Lapse was legal, I wonder how much play it would see because Remand is just better, I'm pretty sure, in almost every sense. I agree. That was my argument on the thread, was just like, Memory Lapse is the only fair card here to print actually and it's worse than remand but I if, if i had to see... pick a next level one i would pick force of will now over days well now that jace exists different conversation yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, before jace was unbanned my answer was force of will is better than days or basic counterspell I, I think force of will would be less damaging to modern than counterspell would i think that um if you were to pr- print memory lapse the best use of it would be in these decks like we just looked at this jeskai deck as like a one or two of a snapcaster so that you could basically depending on what situation the game was in at a certain point you could decide which one to flash back that early in the game it's fine to create tempo and hit your land drops that late in the game if you're trying to like bust through a snapcaster mage and like not get thwarted sure that you would be able to like flash back memory lapse cut off the next draw close out the game like yep. that's to yep. me agreed that that's like what seems to make sense um Anyway, I think that's pretty much going to wrap us up because that is the that's the top eight from the pro yeah. from the GP and so so we talked about it a little with Jerry and, and before we wrapped up the episode, obviously the bannings is the biggest news of the day, so we should wrap up a little bit of that conversation. What deck are you most excited to play with those two cards? And yeah, um, I, you know, there's so there's miracles that's like interesting. I don't think traditional miracles necessarily, but the idea of some sort of miracles deck I think is really cool. I am somebody who for the longest time has tried to make survivor of the unseen work and so when they printed riverwise auger i thought that was interesting there's a lot of different cards that are like you hated on that card so hard when i brought it yeah, up yeah I, I, was, I was convinced afterwards <laughs> uh there's like a lot of different cards and strategies over the last little while that i have tried building where you needed to be able to set the top of your library and so i've mm-hmm. You know, stuff like Nissa getting a Superior into play or like Cloudform getting, you know, something awesome on the battlefield. And it's been really difficult to have any consistent way of doing something like mm-hmm. that. So I think the combination of Nissa and Jace together in some sort of deck that you could build that was going to try to set the top of your library to take full advantage, is, that seems really cool to is me. Is Bloodbraid Elf better than Collected Company necessarily in Sabrina Burning Coco? 
Is Bloodbraid Elf better than Collected Company? No, because because it removes a lot of your creature restrictions that you had before. It's a four drop, so it doesn't play well with Aether Vial in the deck. So you're going to have to cast it. Getting the four land is fine, and you can do it for Collected Company. But like, if what you're getting is you flip a Path to Exile or you like flip a Burning Tree emissary, it's like not that good. Whereas Collected Company, you have a a decision, almost always gets ten power. Okay. So I think the way that it played in the end. Sure. Uh, Uh. I think, I mean, like, obviously I already have Jund and yep. Blue-White Control built sitting next to me as we sit right here, actually. Uh, and I'm going to slide them into those decks immediately. <laughs> the deck that I don't have built already that I'm going to try out the most, that I'm most excited about, is those Teamer lists with Ancestral Visions. Like, ju- like cascading into Ancestral sounds Visions sounds sick. very, very, very sweet. I agree. Um, it... Now that we've talked today as a final wrap-up, where do you stand on, you know, a significant amount of the internet is, oh, God, the sky is falling. Jace is unbanned. Oh, woe is us. How dare wizards put upon us these painful moments of our lives, blah, 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 blah. Do you actually think either of these cards are going to be that problematic for the format? Uh, as I said with Jerry, I... Blood Red Elf, no, not even close. I thought that could have been unbanned a year ago. Um... Jace, I, I'll wait and see. A lot of smart people are t- keeping cool heads, and I think that the sky is falling mentality is ridiculous. But best case scenario, I'm saying cautiously optimistic here because, like, it's going to be a slow card that makes better players better, and, like, it will make good players great, and it'll make average players make mistakes. And anytime you put, like, a, like this is the kind of card that will give a good player an edge, and that, to me, is fun. And I don't think it'll ruin the format, but, but like, it, could this be the great unifier between the pro community and the, the the rest of Magic community and making modern the best format ever? If if Jace ends up being fair, powerful, but only in the hands of skilled players, but then gives skilled players an edge that they probably are looking for, but still allows people to punish them using affinity or other decks that kind of can beat them, isn't that a, probably a better situation than we were currently? I mean, it sounds positive. I I don't know if that what you just said makes any sense in terms of the reality of it. I don't know if like. Uh, well, you just—that's you, what you just said. I mean, the basic—the idea is new players or, or, or good players have a deck that they can reliably play that capitalize on their skill level to have a better percentage against the field versus before that didn't really exist. They had to pick a deck that gave them a decent percentage, but then had to get lucky and not get matched up against opponents. That this is how they feel. This is their complaint regularly. Is I don't want to be paired against random decks that auto-lose for me, and that's my problem with Modern. And Jace allows them to have a more rounded game plan against decks like that. Um, it's just so hard to say, man. I, sure. like, I, I think that the power level of this card is so high that I can see the opportunity for this to really make the best players shine. Um, I can also see this just being a problem card where like, like you said on the show, it's like slow, people are going to dirtle, brainstorming every turn is so dirtly and people do it. Well, people are already lantering, people are already dirtling and other decks. I mean, and, and we were pretty much confident that lantern did not need to get banned as our final statement last week. So why is Jace? I don't think Jace is any dirtlier than Lantern is. By if a Jace margin. is fair and it's just a fun card to have around and it doesn't become just like the auto have to play card, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be awesome because I sure. love this card and it's very powerful and it's fun. It'll be fun to play with Jace again. Those are my final thoughts. Um, I think we should probably wrap it up. So we 
are going to be in New York for a week. Yeah, we have an episode coming out next week. It's uh, a cool episode. It's a cool Stay episode. Uh, we are at Twitter. We are at the Cast. I am at Cast Wiley. I'm at Ben Bateman Media. Uh, you can find us at Facebook. You can find us on Instagram, all at the MMCast. Uh, Facebook, you also search the Masters of Modern official Facebook group. It's the best group to talk about magic. We have a Patreon. Go donate it to it. If you go to a Target and take a picture of yourself with an ice hoop or a dropped up ball or a mini dropped up ball and you buy one and you take a picture of yourself with it and you post it online and tag us and tag at uh, Kess Play on Instagram, uh, you get in the running to win free uh, Modern Masters set packs. Not original one, uh, probably Modern Masters 3. Uh, so we'll be sending those out as different awards. Those are the toys I made at Kess. My company, Kess. Uh, you can also go to Kess.co right now to check out what we make. There's also Super Party Battle out there, which is the game we made, which is really like magic, and you guys should definitely check it out. You can find where to buy it there. Uh, and uh, make sure to check out the Anchor Station, where we record 10 minutes of magic every day. It's called 10 Minutes of Modern. Full disclosure, I found one of those packs upstairs in a box. I opened it. Uh, I couldn't help myself. Well, I, have, I have a whole box in my uh, apartment. I, I know. I opened one. There was an all his dust in there, so it was a good open. Okay. Congratulations. It's like a $25 you card. You stole that from a person going to buy a drop It's just owned Target. by the podcast now. Yeah. We'll Did you it. have a full set of all his dusts? Uh, no. Well, there you go. Now you have one. You paid do for it. Do I need them? Oh, I guess the podcast paid for it. Yeah. That was half mine. That all stuff is half mine. Yeah. That's exciting. You can have it. It's a great way to end the podcast. All right. Bye, everybody. We love you. (laughs) Thank you, Jerry, for coming on. It was great. We'll see everyone next week. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the mmcast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator.